0: You know, parenting is something that is full of highs and lows, and, and, and I know that we have a lot of parents in here, and so you know exactly what I'm talking about. A lot of highs and a lot of lows. For example, yesterday, my, my little boy, Graham, he hasn't been feeling great, and so he woke up at around 30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and so about 8.30 in the morning, he was ready for a nap, and, and I, I, being the good husband and the good father that I am, said, I'll go lay in bed and let Graham come lay With me. And so Graham came and he laid with me and we both passed out for a few hours, which was glorious. But then once we got up, you know, for for the day, we had a couple of things we had to go do. My youngest daughter Nora goes and hops in bed and she jumps right in the middle of the bed and then she rolls to my side of the bed and says, Daddy, you left a dent in the bed. (laughs) To which is nothing short of just a huge confidence. Builder, you know, so so parenting is full of highs and parenting is full of lows. But but I feel like one of the most special moments that we have as parents is is whenever we realize that, that 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 our kids don't just need us, but our kids actually want us. I remember with each of my kids that very first moment that I'm walking across the room or or maybe they've started crawling or scooting around. And they come up to you and they sit right at your feet or, or, or they're down at your feet and they do the whole like arms up. There is nothing more special than a baby lifting their arms up. It does not matter how frustrated you were. It does not matter where you were going. You were going to stop and lift up that child. Right now, like I said, Graham, he's, he, he, he's been going through it. He's, he's two now and he's been going through it for a little bit like he's he's discovered this screaming voice that that um makes you wonder if his head's going to start spinning <laughs> like like that kind of screaming voice and he loves to unleash this screaming voice uh in the middle of the night yeah which is again just just the the greatest thing in the world, right, and so parenting's so much fun and and so like like it's, it's two o'clock in the morning and and Graham just starts screaming and screaming and screaming and 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 my wife is is in bed, and she's like putting the pillow over her head like I can't take this anymore, and so I figure, okay, it's my turn now and and so I get up and i I go into graham's room and and he sees me and he just lifts those, like, demon-screeching arms <laughs> up to me. And at that moment, there's nothing else that I can do other than pick him up and, and, and encourage him, right, to, to respond differently whenever he's, he's upset, but to pick him up and to have him wrap his little arms around my neck and squeeze so tightly. It's one thing whenever your kids just need you, but it's something completely different whenever your kids actually want you. And all of my my, my kids are still under my roof, but I imagine, as, as I've already seen with some of them, but, but the, 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 these moments, they may continue to look different, but that feeling of being wanted by our children, it, it remains the same, whether it's at the swimming pool and they're learning to swim, and they're looking to you to make sure that they don't sink or or, or, or maybe it's because their world has 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 something has happened in their world that has broken their heart and they just need they they, they just need you they, they want you to melt into your side or perhaps they realize that they said some words that have hurt someone and they they need you through their tears they want you through their tears to remind them that they are more than the mistake that they've made and And like I said, all of my children are still in the house, but I imagine on some level, this feeling of being wanted by your children really never goes away. It's like we always want to be able to say, my child, please come to me. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's overwhelming you, in the good times, let me celebrate with you. In the hard times, let me listen to you and let me cry with you, but child, just please, please come to me. Last week in our series, The Commands of Christ, we, we looked at this command of Jesus that just simply does not make sense when we try to look at it from a human perspective. That Jesus says that when you are hated or when you are persecuted or when you're insulted or whenever you are rejected because of him that we are to rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? Because we know that great is our reward in heaven. It's a command that didn't stick with Jesus. It's a command that made its way all throughout the New Testament. Whenever James, the half-brother of Jesus, would say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that these trials will ultimately develop perseverance in your faith. It's like, what? Joy? Trials, those aren't the things that we normally put together. The Apostle Paul, rejoice always. And whenever Paul said the word always, what he meant was like, always. When you want to and when you don't. Rejoice always and and, and pray continually and give thanks and hear something all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And over and over and over again, all throughout the New Testament, we're told to rejoice in the context of pain and suffering. But how do we do that? We do that because We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe that he really lived and he really died. And on the third day that he really defeated sin and shame and death when he resurrected from the dead. We believe that he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And when he did so, that he left his Holy Spirit with us to be our guide, to be our comforter, to be his presence that will never ever leave us, this is what we believe. We believe that Jesus, whenever he did all these things, that he held up his end of the deal, that no matter what we face in our life, that we can still rejoice. And so with that in mind, today we're going to look at another command that I believe has the potential to be so, so freeing to so many of us, and what we're facing in our lives today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to begin here in verse 25. And so I'm just going to read the first few words of verse 25, and then we're going to stop for just a second. It says this, At that time, Jesus said. At that time, Jesus said. And since we're looking at something that Jesus said at a specific time, we need to take a quick look at what was happening just before Jesus said at that time. How did we get to this time that Jesus is talking about? One of the most controversial figures in the entire New Testament is actually Jesus' cousin. It was a man by the name of John the Baptist. John had many followers. He preached many unpopular sermons. And and more times than not, whenever John was preaching an unpopular sermon, the reason it was unpopular was because he was preaching on the subject of repentance. And the more things change, the more things stay the same, right? Like, if you want to preach an unpopular sermon today, preach a sermon... repentance. But John, he challenged authority, but the main thing that John did throughout his life, throughout his ministry, was he pointed people to Jesus. There were a lot of people who, who believed that John was or that he could possibly be the coming Messiah, the one that they had been waiting on for generations. But John never wavered in his claim that he was not that Messiah. And then one day he would unmistakably make it clear that Jesus was that Messiah. But at the beginning of, of, of Matthew chapter 11, John has been in prison for, for, for quite some time here, and, and he, he was put in prison because of some of his, his, his willingness to challenge authority. He had told Herod that, let's put it nicely, he had some inappropriate relationships with some people in his family. And so whenever Herod heard this, he, he didn't like that John was, was calling him out, and so he had John thrown in prison. But the longer that John sat in prison, the more the questions began to creep into his mind. They crept into his mind. He, he began to wonder if he was right about what he had believed about Jesus. Was Jesus really the one that, that, that they had been waiting on all this time? Is Jesus who he thought he was? Or, or had he missed something in some way? And so he asked his followers to go find Jesus and, and to get some answers. And in the process of his disciples coming to Jesus, John's disciples coming to Jesus to to get some answers, are you the one, was John right, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Jesus simply told the disciples, John's disciples, to look around and go back and tell John what you see, that the deaf can hear, the blind can see, the lame can walk, and the dead have been raised again, and the good news, the gospel has been preached to the poor, and then as John's followers began to leave, Jesus turned his attention to the crowd and he began to, to talk to the crowd about who John really was. He says that there has never been a man born of a woman who is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even John the Baptist is, 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 is least in the kingdom of heaven or the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How he has simply preached, but John the Baptist has simply preached the message of the prophets from long ago. And if you were willing to accept his message, if you were willing to accept what the prophets had said, if you were willing to accept what John the Baptist had said, then you would know who Jesus was. Then you would believe in him. But there were so many who did not accept this message. And it was to this unresponsive generation that Jesus turns his attention, this group who has missed the good news of the gospel in the name of the burden of religion, They had missed so much about what God had done through Israel's history and the true purpose of the law given in the Old Testament all because of the scribes and the Pharisees. Their teachers had added their own rules and their own regulations and their own laws onto God's law. And they trusted their teachers. But if they just would have listened to John, if they just would have listened to the prophets, then they would have known, but they didn't. And as a result, they were breaking under the weight that their teachers had placed on them. And that's what's taking place whenever Jesus says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. In other words, God has hidden this truth from those who will not believe but are enamored and, and, and infatuated by their own learning verse 27 all things have been committed to me by my father no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those whom the son chooses to reveal him i love this so much because we always look at, at, at the synoptic gospels matthew mark and luke these are gospels that tell so many of the same stories and and and, and use so much of the same language but in a, a little verse like that you see just just how close John's gospel still was to the synoptic gospels, because that verse right there could be taken straight from John's words. But it's here that Jesus gives us, it's after Jesus says these words that he gives us our command for the day. And remember, this is a command spoken to people who are drowning in fear. They're breaking under the pressure. They're breaking under the burden of not meeting some sort of man-made expectation. And it's here that Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This morning, some of you just need to take a moment and rest in this command. And it's this command of Jesus that says, come to me, that separates following Jesus and Christianity from every other religious system in the history of the entire world. But listen here, how how Jesus continues to paint for us this beautiful picture of exactly what he means when he says, come to him and he will give you rest. Verse 29, he says, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whenever Jesus says that he has come to give us rest, what he's saying is, is, that, is that when we come to him, is that he will give us relief from the burdens that we place on ourselves. I love this so much, the imagery that Jesus decides to use. The imagery of this yoke, this heavy wooden bar that fits around the neck of an ox, so that way this ox could carry some sort of a hairy load. It it could pull some sort of a heavy load. And the thing that Jesus' audience would have been so, so familiar with is that there were actually two different kinds of yokes that farmers would use to put on an ox. There was the single yoke for the single ox, but then there was also a double yoke for two oxen. It, 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 and whenever you had the single yoke, it was obviously this one animal that was carrying the entire load, but whenever it was shared between two animals, there was always one ox that was much stronger than the other ox. Do you see where Jesus is going here? And the stronger ox was always more schooled in the commands of the master. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? And so the stronger ox would serve as a guide to the other's ox according to the master's commands. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? And as a result, the weaker ox would be able to learn the expectations of the master by sharing the yoke with the stronger ox. But the greatest mistake that we can make whenever we look at this command of Jesus is to believe that because Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are tired, all of you who are weary, all of you who are a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. The greatest mistake that we can make is is think that this is a call to some sort of careless living. Because if that were the case, then there would be no need for the commands of Christ. This is not a call to careless living. Instead, this is fully a call to surrender Instead of remaining on this hamster wheel of worldly pleasure and self-righteousness, Jesus is inviting us to to find rest through surrendering to him and surrendering to his ways. Jesus is the one who literally said that I have come, that you may have life and have it to the full, but the only way you will ever be able to experience the full life that Jesus offers is through surrendering to him. The only way you'll be able to find this full life that Jesus offers is, is through Resting in him and through allowing his ways to be greater than your ways and and allowing his perspective to be greater than the world's perspective. The world's perspective will always lead us on this hamster wheel of always just trying to get a little bit more, trying to get a little bit further. But Jesus' way gives us life and it gives us rest and it gives us peace. But these people that Jesus was talking to, they were so burdened because they had failed over and over and over again to keep the law. And as their leaders poured on more and more laws, the people just began to feel more and more guilty. And the weight of their sin continued to get heavier and heavier to the point that they couldn't stand under it anymore. But Jesus, he calls us to give him the full weight of our sin. He calls us to give him the full weight of our pain, the full weight of our sickness, the full weight of our questions, the full weight of our brokenness. He doesn't call us to just give him some of it as so many of us are accustomed to doing, but rather he calls us to give him all of it. And when we give him our complete and utter inability to obey God, We can remain faithful in the midst of all this world throws at us because we know the commands cannot be carried out by on our own and in our own strength. But the call to come to Christ is not a call to try harder to reform your life and a call to be a better person. It's that kind of self-righteousness that led to the burden that these people were facing in the very first place. So he's not calling us to greater moral moral effort, but instead when Jesus says, come to me, he's saying, surrender to me, submit to me. And the good news is, is that when we submit to him, Jesus, he will give us all that he has to us. Jesus is the stronger one. He is the one who alone is able to bear the full weight of the Father's commands, And this is the one who invites us to find rest in him. This is the one who invites us to share this yoke with him. So the first thing that Jesus does, he says, Come to me, all you who are tired and burdened, weary and broken, and I will give you rest. But in addition to to Jesus offering rest for those who will come to him, he also offers this sort of refreshment. He says, Come to me, because I am the bread of life. And if you, you eat the bread of life, then, then you will never hunger Come to me, because I am living water. And if you come to me, I will I will give you water that will allow you to never thirst again. It's not uncommon at all, at all for people to describe their, their their spiritual journey as a desert or a wilderness. We saw the people of Israel in the Old Testament spend a lot of time in the wilderness, in the desert. We saw Jesus early in his ministry spend a substantial amount of time in the desert and in the wilderness. The wilderness moments will happen in our faith, but what we do in those moments will determine who we become. I remember as a young, young youth minister, I was probably 23 years old or something like that, and I took my youth group on a inner city mission trip to memphis tennessee and we probably had 15 kids with us or something like that and and i decided early on in the week that i was going to be the example for everybody else this is in the middle of the summer in memphis and so we go out and we start working and it was just this incredible trip working with this incredible lady painting a house cleaning up all all over the place and And I decided, like I said, I'm going to set the example. And so I just worked and worked and worked and worked. And you would have people who'd come up to you, hey, you need to take a break. I'm like, no, 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 I don't need to take a break. I need to set an example. You need to stop and get some water. Oh, no, I'm fine. I don't need water. Water's for the weak. I'm good here. I need to set an example and so for hours and hours in the Memphis sun, I just kept going and going and going and going. And we got back to our room later that evening, and I could not go anymore. I ended up spending most of that evening in the hospital, severely dehydrated and on the brink of heat stroke. And I remember the thing that they, they, they told me is, you, you, you need to go and drink fluids, but I couldn't keep any fluids down. They said, well, if you can't keep any fluids down, then you need to keep drinking more fluids. You have to get more fluids. You just have to keep drinking more fluids. And I'm just so, I think about about my own spiritual journey. I I, I think about us and, and I just begin to wonder how many of us are living in this world of spiritual dehydration. Like we're on the border of, of, of like this spiritual heat stroke, you know, that, that, that we haven't allowed ourselves to be filled with the living water, this water that will never cause us to thirst ever again. Instead, we just keep working and working and working, whether it's on that hamster wheel of trying to keep up with the world or whether it's with we keep working and working and working under the heavy burden of trying to keep all the rules and never messing up. But yet we never stop to take a drink. We just keep going and going and going. But the entire time Jesus is saying, if you would just come to me, I have everything that you need in order to be refreshed. I am the solution to your dehydration. He's inviting us in those moments of hunger and thirst to be refreshed by him, the giver of living water and the source of daily bread. But Jesus also tells us to to come to him and we will find resurrection. Come to him and we will find resurrection. One of my favorite stories in, in the New Testament is the story of Lazarus, John chapter 11. Towards the very end of Jesus' ministry, he gets word that his friend is sick And he ends up kind of just making this plan, but the center of the plan going forward was that the glory of God would be revealed. So eventually, like four days later, after hearing that Lazarus was sick, he ends up showing up at Lazarus' house. And and Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, they were furious with Jesus. They were so hurt that Jesus didn't come initially. But again, Jesus' entire plan was for the glory of God to be revealed revealed, but whenever he saw the pain that the sisters were going through, Jesus in that moment, he began, he began to weep. But again, it was all about the glory of God being revealed. But this is what, what, what happened in, in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 41, it says, Lazarus has been in this tomb for four days, but, but Jesus goes and says to, to, to move the tomb, and, or uh, to, to move the stone out of the front of the tomb, and so they, they took away the stone And Jesus looked up to the Father and said, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of those who were standing here that they may believe that you sent me. That's such a huge verse. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Another way you could say that is, Lazarus, come here. Come to me. In verse 44, this is so, so cool. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. But this is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope of the living water. This is the hope of the bread of life. This is the hope of the one who calls you to come to him so he can give you rest, so he can give you peace. When you were dead, Jesus called you to become alive. When you were dead in your transgressions, Jesus went and took your sin and he took your shame and he put it upon himself so that way you could ultimately find life, In him, surrendering to Jesus leads to rest. It leads to refreshment, and it leads to resurrection. And the beauty of this command is that it's never too late to accept it. The beauty of this command is that it really is. It's an invitation that will never expire. As long as there is breath in our lungs, the invitation continues to stand. Jesus says, come to me and allow me to carry the load of of making you right with God because you cannot do it on your own. And Jesus has already done everything that's necessary. So let's let him lead. Let's, let's, Let's learn from him the master's commands. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, come to me and allow me to nourish your soul, to satisfy you, to refresh you. He says to to come to me, maybe this way you are, come to me when your heart is cold and your spirit is broken. Come to me whenever you come to a church and we sing songs about fling wide these heavenly gates and it doesn't move you at all. Whenever we sing songs about Jesus, we want to see you do it again. And it doesn't move you at all. Because your spirit is cold. It's dead. But Jesus says, come to me and I will will give you new life. This is the invitation of Jesus. Jesus. And one of the greatest things that we can do whenever we come in contact with this invitation is we can can take a moment to think about the magnitude of all that God is, all who God is. Then couple that with the way that we know that he feels about us. Couple that with his love for you. The invitation of Jesus is the invitation of a loving parent who cares so, so deeply for their children. She's saying will you please just come to me no matter what you're facing no matter what's overwhelming you in the good times please let me celebrate with you in the hard times please let me listen let me weep with you just please my child will you come to me and so really, that's the question for today, regardless of where you are in the good times and the bad and the happy and the sad and rest and relaxation in the wilderness and in the land of plenty. Whenever you're spiritually dehydrated and whenever you're spiritually refreshed, when your spirit is cold and lacking fire and whenever it's full of passion, the question is, will you go to Jesus? Will you pray for me this morning? Jesus, thank you for the hope that we have in you. And Jesus, I just pray for our hearts. God, I pray that you would ignite something so deep within us that we would truly hunger and thirst for your word. That we would truly hunger and thirst for you. That we would truly hunger and thirst for more people to know about you. Jesus, that we would be people of daily surrender to allow you to to lead us in the way that we are to go you are the stronger ox we are the weak you know the master's commands and we learn from you so Jesus will you please 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 continue to call us to yourself and Jesus I pray that we will respond Jesus I love you in your name we pray Amen.